G'day everyone, it's Millie Nolan here from the Livestock Collective. Today on the Livestock Leaders podcast, we have another keen industry advocate here to share his story. Not only does this leader have a powerful story in himself, he's also part of the Livestock Collective story. I'm stoked to announce that today's star guest is John Cunnington, one of the three directors at the Livestock Collective. He is also the business development manager of Helene Australasian Livestock Traders. I have John with me now, so welcome John and how are you? Very good, Millie. Very, Very excited good. to be here. Oh, good. So we start each episode with the same question, and that is, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself with? I love these old-timey questions that <laughs> interesting to see where everyone comes out. Look, I, I think when I'm looking now and the job sort of built me into it, I, I feel like I, I need to be a problem solver, number one. Um, need to be diplomatic and probably inquisitive. I uh, like to ask people a lot of questions and try to really get down to the root of where they're coming from. And you're, you're so right. It actually uh, makes you think about different things about yourself when you've got to narrow it down to only three words or short phrases. Well, it's also um, it, once you start asking, not being afraid to ask questions and say, look, I don't know about this topic. Can you tell me more about it? People get really passionate and you start to hear a lot about them and understand them better. So that's why. Yeah, inquisitive is really important to me. That's it, John, and hopefully that's what I'll be able to do today, get you talking about something that you're passionate about. So where are you from, John? I am born and raised in Perth. So I am one of those people that are in the ag community but am not part, like haven't come from the farm, haven't grown up sort of from that background. So I come in with a lot of different perspectives when talking about a lot of different ag uh, ideas. So how on earth did you get involved with live export then? Well, what I just said was not completely true then because, uh, look, I've always been around the industry. I used to get picked up from school and then mum used to take us down to the wharf as dad was loading boats. So um, even though I was born and raised in, in Perth, I've always been around the industry uh, just through family Um, And that's sort of how I I initially got sucked up into it. And once you're part of it, it's very difficult to get out. So now you're the business development manager, as I said earlier. What does that entail? So as I said um, before, I I started out in the the lower rungs and it's one of those ones, the LiveX industry is still very much from the mailroom to the top. Like you you enter in... um, early on and I, I worked my way up uh, from on boats and working in yards to being the SCAS manager for Helene and now doing the business development manager. Um, often that entails chartering vessels, um, marketing in market, so literally selling the cattle. Uh, but we're a smaller company, so everyone does a little bit of everything. So I, I sort of oversee a lot of the operations side of things and also look at a lot of the policy side because there's something that the ag community loves, it's policy. You started off on on boat, on the vessels. Do you have any uh, particular voyages that really stick out in your mind? So because I did it sort of uh, in my uni breaks, I didn't really stick with one exporter the whole way through like a lot of people often do now. And that really allowed me to do pretty much every destination. So I've done dairy cattle to China, done this, 
stock standard North Australia to Southeast Asia. Done the Fremantle to Middle East with the 101,000 sheep back when you had that many on boats. And then um, probably one of the ones that sticks out to me is we'd done sheep, cattle, and then we took some camels to Libya. Mm. So, wow. Um, that was interesting. So, Yeah, what are they like on the boats? They're very self-sustaining. Um, it, it was very interesting getting to know them, but the vet really took care of the camels mostly we we were looking after the cattle and um so the vet had that side of things but it was just interesting to watch how they traveled the whole time and they went well yeah awesome so you've been to so many countries and you obviously got a little bit like well a lot of experience um with lots of different livestock did you have skills in livestock like before that uh a little bit of trial by fire but you can't just jump on boats without having the livestock experience so I st actually started loading ships in Fremantle um sheep ships I, I my brother was down on the wharf as his uni job so I sort of got a connection in there and uh, then I started working in sow yards uh pushing cattle um working in pre-export yards working cattle there uh so through that experience I was then able to jump on the boats and then it all sort of blossomed from there and it's all about getting in and getting to know people and getting your hands dirty. That's it. Yeah. So you certainly get that. Yeah, I bet you do. So you said earlier about dairy exports and I just want to touch on that because I think sometimes that gets a little bit forgotten when we talk about live exports. So you can you tell us a little bit about dairy exports, like where are the dairy cattle from? Yeah. Where do they go? Yeah, so I think there's two important industries that get forgotten about it's the uh the dairy and the high value breeders from primarily from victoria and a little bit from Fremantle, and also the air freight guys we can't forget them because they're doing high value uh exports and the sheep and goes to malaysia but the dairy dairy cattle and the high value breeding cattle uh they primarily come out of victoria and a little bit out of Fremantle. so the boat that i jumped on uh went from Fremantle went across to Portland, picked up some more cattle in Portland and then went up to China. Uh, then I was lucky enough on that voyage actually, the vet needed some help in market. So I disembarked with the vet and we inspected the cattle when they first got off uh, and then flew up to Harbin, which is right up near the Russian border and uh, did some inspections on some more cattle and helped the vet with a few jobs he needed to do and then Ended up spending a week in China after that. But look, these were little dairy heifers, so they weren't the pregnant ones. So it was actually quite nice. Yeah. And how valuable is that experience, like in market, in countries that we, like, no one else is really exposed to, to what you do now? It really just solidifies the necessity of the trade um, and really is an eye-opening experience that so often we don't understand what food security is in Australia. Uh, we've never not had food or not had uh, anything that we're needing. And I think the closest that we've gotten in the last year is the sort of COVID scares when you've gone into the supermarkets and they're bare. But for a lot of countries, that's, that's very real. And you start talking about playing with their food security and it becomes feisty pretty quickly so seeing in market 
not only sort of what the trade brings to him, but also the amount of people that the industry helps. Like uh, a feedlot may support a whole town because it's not only the the workers, it's then the food suppliers and the the lady that brings in the lunches for the 400 workers in a feedlot and all the flow-on effects. So the importance of it is is huge. Yeah. I think we also forget about other countries' infrastructure or their lack thereof when it comes to actually being able to keep their food refrigerated, which is just every day for us. But for some countries, it's not a reality at all. Yeah, it's it's about the um, the preference of things as well. Who, who are we to dictate how we want to someone else should have their food. I mean, if someone only told you that you can only have frozen beef from now on, it, it wouldn't sit right wouldn't with you. wouldn't be very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's the same way. Like if I, if I walk into a supermarket and I see the seafood and it's um, frozen only, I, I probably want to go for the local fresh items. And that's what we're offering is we're offering that fresh meat, that um, can be consumed that day and to a to a consumer's preference and if we can do that in a way that satisfies both the Australian community and the in-market community what more could you ask for? Yeah. Complex relationships. So what you were doing then is obviously quite different to what you're doing now as the business development manager. What skills do you really place emphasis on is it negotiation like what are your core skills that you require because it's obviously not pushing up cattle anymore <laughs> no but I, th- I think at the end of the day the the skills are very similar number one is problem solving because if you just expect everything to always be the same you're useless to a situation so instead of freaking out about something not being right just saying, okay, it's happened. What do we need to do to fix this? And what's the most efficient and best way with the best outcomes? Um, negotiations the also the um, other part. I mean, you negotiate 100 times in a day uh, just in general life. So I, I think those skills are really important. Yeah, I think those skills, even in agriculture as a whole, are something that we're quite good at. We do have to be quite adaptable. We're not always dealing with conditions that are in our control, number one being the weather. Um, So I'll move on from there. And as the director of the Livestock Collective, I really want to use that for our audience, John. So can you give us a bit of a snippet of how you first got involved? Like why did the Livestock Collective start and how were you a part of it? So I originally got roped in. It was uh, Holly called me up and at, well, currently I'm the chair of the WA Live Exporters Association. So I was going along to the initial uh, sheep collective tours as a representative for industry. So we had uh, Holly sent out invitations to 200 politicians and said, come look on board. So... We took them on board and I was there to be able to answer questions on behalf of industry. And uh, once we'd sort of walked around, we went up and we just opened it up and said, all right, we're ready for questions without notice. Ask us whatever you want. And uh, that's sort of originally how I was there. And look, I was passionate. It's, It's for quite a lot of us. It's something where we'd always wanted to tell the story, um, 
and I guess we just needed some leadership to to pull it together and um, have an avenue to make it happen. I, I think often we get bogged down in, oh, we're too busy to do this, but at the end of the day, this is such an important project to make sure that you have a business going forward because it's the age-old thing of if you don't tell your story someone else will tell it for you and you probably won't like it yeah that's it fill that void and I think that is just such a courageous thing to do to be transparent in an industry such as this so where has that grown to like what's happening now so it started originally as blogs and videos and vessel tours. I mean, the vessel tours were integral early on and we just wanted to really connect with different community groups So um, and open ourselves up. Uh, so in everything, it's extremely organic uh, and we sort of learnt on the fly. So, yeah, we probably made some mistakes or probably pushed the limit sometimes of what industry would like us to be doing but um that's where we're at and we're like no we we want to be transparent and we want to show what we're doing and that we're we're proud of it so that's where we went to so it was a lot of hard work and leadership and it took some vision and it sort of organically grew from there so we we did the vessel tours and then it was about getting the content out there and building a avenue to have respectful conversations Um, if people had questions being able to answer them because there really wasn't that avenue before too often we get tied up in the the Chinese whispers of what actually happens compared to being like okay on an open forum what do people want to know and trying to answer those questions as best as we can openly and honestly and providing footage and it was this mix of Um, professional footage that we got but also the raw organic footage because that can be just as powerful I mean one of my favorite videos is just a time lapse of a whole sheep voyage where it's just showing sheep up down up down walking around eating drinking just living chilling out and because that's what it's like and at the end of the day how can you dispute with 12 days worth of footage so we just sort of got the support then from industry and producers and the community wanting to know more and it just grew and grew and we we knew that this is something that we needed to continue with and then we launched the the cattle collective we had uh, the ag minister at the time Bridget McKenzie come and launch that because she loved what we were doing and eventually we will we wanted to bring it together and that's where we got to the Livestock Collective. So we can do dairy and we can do goats and uh, whatever else comes in. All under one umbrella. And I think the story is evidence that we, we do have a story and there's an audience that really want to hear it as well. And when you speak about respectful conversations, it really does come from both ends, doesn't it? There's no point in us not being open and transparent. Well, the thing... We, we always need to remember about social media is the users of social media or the active users of social media only make up a small portion of those actually using it. Personally, I'm not a huge active user of social media in the sense that I look at it, but I'm not actively engaging. So when we don't have respectful conversation, 
on platforms like social media, people are judging how you converse. So if you go out and call people names or challenge their food choices or um, just try to shut them down, you really actually, even though you're trying to be proactive or pro-industry, you actually make it look bad. So the best thing that you can do is be respectful. I mean, if they're being vile and saying hatred stuff, well, you need to move on from that. But if people are trying to have a robust discussion, have the robust discussion, but have it in a way that people can walk away and be like, oh, I learned something from that, not just um, shutting them down with vile comments, really. And it, it, because it goes both ways. Yeah, it does. And I think that's a really important message uh, to take away from this episode. Is the language that we use important as well, like language that the public will understand? Yeah, so that was a really um, important thing that we, uh, important note that we started when starting the Sheep Collective was not using industry jargon. Um, and that's where probably sometimes people from within industry or the ag community look at some of the posts on the Livestock Collective and wonder why we're so simple with things. But our goal was to not only um, support the, the local ag communities, but we wanted to become a trusted source of information for the city and urban populations. So if the, if the mums in Brighton and Melbourne are having their coffee they can understand what we're trying to say. It, it's because too often we, we use industry wording that people tune out of and they don't really understand. So the, the messaging needs to be very, um, not simplistic, but just away from industry jargon because people don't understand it otherwise. And, I mean, if different industries start speaking in their jargon, I, I wouldn't understand and I'll probably keep moving. Yeah, exactly. I know for myself, that was a, um, a big learning coming onto this team. And we're really lucky to have a communications coordinator on board with us who isn't from an agricultural background. And so she's really good at picking up when I'm too scientific or using that jargon. Did you struggle with that? Or did you realise and just it came out more naturally? I, I think having my city background, I'm surrounded by people not in the ag community. So I would often show them things or videos and just say, what's your initial reaction? Just blanket. Tell me what it is. Uh, here's, here's a feedlot in Asia or here's what it's like on board. And, oh, okay. And then trying to explain things. And you can just watch people's eyes glaze over pretty quickly. So um, that's why I really like having Chantel on board because it's, someone from outside the industry that can say, you might want to change how this is worded or uh, look at how we're presenting this. And that, that becomes really important. Yeah, absolutely. So you never shied away from having these tough, I guess, conversations before all of this, like you were always really open with the people around you? To an extent, uh, around the, the people that I knew, I was pretty open and always have been and um but that's generally who I am I feel but I wasn't the guy that wanted to jump in a taxi and sprout about what I did mainly because not because I wasn't proud of what I did it was just 
unless you were prepared for it, it's just a long conversation often. And um, that's where it was sometimes difficult. But it's about how to, um, how to improve that communication and understand where people are, are coming from. That ask, listen, ask, listen, ask, listen. Get to the root cause of where they're coming from and what their concerns are. Um, because otherwise you can become uh, defensive quickly or feel like everyone's on the attack. And I think by having the source of information like the Livestock Collective, if people wanted to know more, being able to send them to there and say, look, here's an avenue where you can look to your heart's content. There's a frequently asked questions section where we've got videos actually not only explaining what's happening but actually showing how it happens as well. So do do you wash out on cattle ships? Yes, and here's a video of it being washed out. So that's why that's really important. Yeah, that communication and transparency. Did you have any, like, does any conversations stick out in your mind where things went south or you were just doing it with the people around you and it was generally okay and received well? <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty of conversations where it's gone <laughs> south. Mostly... Uh, I think I was playing barefoot bowls one time and some guy wanted to really get into what I was doing and all the rest. I was trying to enjoy a Wednesday night beer and a bit of bowls and um, went into it and he was like, oh, now's probably a good time to tell you I'm a Buddhist and um, work for the Greens and all this sort of stuff. And I was, I was like, all right, well, let if you want to talk about it let's talk about it and I understand where you're coming from and that's your choices and I think uh I think that if you ever want to talk let's have a talk so in that sense it's um people come from different backgrounds and you we have to understand that and respect that and invite that conversation that's that's really at the core purpose of um where we come from with the livestock collective is not only i know it started with LiveX and we're really starting to grow bigger than that and what we're really trying to do is empower the ag community um to help them be their own advocates and the their own storytellers because it goes back to what i was saying before if we don't tell our stories somebody else will do it for us and i know we sort of had touched on LiveX quite a bit but Every other ag industry should be looking at LiveX because we're doing the hard yards almost for other industries in the sense of if you don't tell your own story, the LiveX industry is the story that will sort of shows what will happen. Yeah, the media love it. Exactly. That leads us on to the Livestock Leaders Program. So what do you think are important messages for those that are part of the program or really anyone just wanting to advocate for the industry? I think if we go back to where we're trying to penetrate in and people often talk about the rural uh, country-city divide, you've got to be talking about agriculture as a sector as a whole and not just the industry you're in. You can use the industry you're in as an example, but people in the uh, in the city, whether it's don't know or don't really care about your specific little industry, it's we we need to be representative and lift the whole indi- uh, the whole ag sector up as one. Um, that's really important. Speak about what you know, 
not what you think you know um, because at the end of the day you're the expert if someone's coming to you and you're you're a producer uh, and I'll use LiveX because it's the easy example for me don't talk you don't really need to talk about what's happening in market talk about why the industry is important for you as a producer it, it underpins the pricing um, puts a floor pricing it, it it gives me another outlet. It's uh, we can't grow our cattle out to slaughter weight on these areas. I mean that. Talk about what you know, because, and that probably leads on to my next one is speak with passion. Because ag is a unique community that you live and breathe the ag community. It's not a desk job where you go home and switch off and you worry about what's on the next episode on TV. People often live and breathe it and it becomes their identity. So people really find that passion endearing and it's it's within all people in the ag community. So speak with that. Yeah, it really gives us a, a personal branding that they can or the public can associate with us and I think that's really powerful. Oh, 100%. So that leads us into well, leadership. So for you, what is leadership? What's your definition of being a leader? Uh, leadership, well, if I look at even the sort of story of the Livestock Collective, it's being willing to take on difficult situations with purpose and have others follow you with passion. Um, it's being able to to take a team and, and corral others and be the one to, to take to the next level. So if we're looking at the Livestock Leaders Program, if you're the person that from your community that goes and does the program, you're, you're learning these skills that enable you to be a better communicator and hopefully gives you the confidence to go out and, and speak about uh, whatever, well, the ag community, I hope, as a, as a whole. But you can then be the leader in your community and your surroundings to say to others, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm passionate about it. And here's some of the skills that I've learned. And hopefully you can be a leader in your area and sort of share similar stories and uh, take others with you on the journey. Yeah, that's absolutely an objective of the Livestock Leaders Program is that building that community and network and that collaborative and united voice that we can share our stories with. Yeah, because we don't want people to come to the Livestock Leaders Program and spend two days and go, oh, that was nice, and then forget it on their drive home. Uh, a big part of the Livestock Leaders Program and where we try to set ourselves apart from the rest is actually making people, or not making people, but encouraging people to actually put their learnings into action and go forward and um, actually go out and and put into practice what they learn because we want that confidence in people. And it's only when you start telling your story that you start seeing others around you doing the similar thing. And it, it's why the word collective is so important in the Livestock Collective because we, we wanted to to join together as a community to stand up to tell our story because it's scary putting your head above the grass by itself and um, getting all negative commentary. But if you do it as a group, you're there to support each other. 
Yeah. I was actually chatting to one of our key presenters, James Lush, the other week about the word collective and how much of a powerful word it is and how well it aligns with our core values. And that collective is also us supporting our advocates and livestock leaders going forward. And like you said, it's not just a two or three day workshop and a see you later. They become part of our community and our story. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, I I was part of the sort of pilot group and we still actively communicate with each other. And if someone does a story, we we get behind that person. And um, or if someone's going into a story, they might say, look, this is where, where I'm wanting to go, um, here, here are my key points and people can offer suggestion. And the other side of it is as these sort of uh, alumni groups become more diverse and people share other alumni story, it's getting into different communities as well. It's, it's not just sort of circling back to the same sort of group that always sees the same thing. So that's important about uh, the diversity that we're building in the Livestock Leaders alumni. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really empowering as because I facilitate the workshops and getting these people in the room and they're people from live export, they're vets, they're goat producers, they're um, in government roles, they're in retail, like they're butchers and they're everything that unites the whole supply chain because often we go to things as industry. So the grains will go to, I think that's Grain Week this week and all the grains people will be there. But it's not often that we get people from all along the supply chain and all over Australia together. And I think that's something that we're doing that's it's really empowering to be in a room with. And I think that was one of the, the core things when we started um, as the Sheep Collective was, uh, Holly used the term Justice League, where it was... Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course she did. <laughs> The, the export representative, but then there was the vet that went on board, there was the in-market representative, there was the producer, there was... So it was the supply chain, and that's that was where that collective started because we went forward as a united front and being able to lean on each other when stories came about different areas of the supply chain, we'll be able to say, oh, here's Andy, the truck driver, and here's his perspective on the area that he does. Um, and this is, once again, where the Lifesalt Leaders alumni becomes great because if someone wants to uh, talk about something happening uh, on a farm or uh, in market, instead of me trying to answer the on-farm question, I go, look, I'd really like to help you out, but I know uh, old mate Stephen Bolt, he's a, a sheep producer who would be more than willing to have a chat with you. And that's, that's where you can start using the alumni group to really put people in, in the right positions to once again go back to those people that can speak about what they, actually, what they know. Yeah, I was going to say that was one of your key points um, before speaking about what you know and I think it's a really good skill to refer people um, when they ask questions because as much as we like to talk, sometimes there's other people that know better. I actually had an alumni send in a blog uh, last week and she was speaking about how we're all, what she's realised is that we're all together and not one sector is more important than the other or one person in the supply chain more important than the other and she worded it so beautifully and it's so true. Like We'd love to have more truckies and shearers and everyone on this Livestock Leaders program because everyone has a role to play and everyone has a story to share. So going forward... What do you see as opportunities in this industry? 
uh, well, if I look at sheep, it's reopening old markets. Um, the sheep export quantities are down at the moment. Uh, that's the great thing about the export community is we're highly adaptable. Is if something, if an opportunity presents itself, we we can very quickly act, and it's not a a laboured uh, program trying to get things up and going again. And then the cattle, I mean, if you take Indonesia, for instance, they're our closest neighbour uh, to the north. And, I mean, you've got a population of a few hundred million people. At the moment, they uh, average about 1.8 kilos of red meat per person per year. If that even jumped half a kilo a person or even a couple hundred grams, the amount of demand that they will have will require the Australian herd. So there's countless opportunities all through. And I mean, uh, around the world, red meat protein is now in short supply. So uh, as much, I hope, especially for Northern Australia, um, as technologies improve and farming practices improve, if they can increase the carrying capacity, uh, we got an industry that can take them off their hands and sell them. What about threats and challenges? Obviously, in the live export industry, they seem to be many. Yeah, I mean, immediately, our biggest challenge is the high prices. Um, the markets that we're supplying into are finding it extremely difficult to pay the prices at the moment or sustain the, the prices long term. The second one's probably regulation. Uh, the export community is under high levels of it and uh, it, it seems to continue to get tighter and tighter as time goes on. Um, and the third one is, and I, I'd be hypocritical if I, I didn't go into it, we're, we're dealing with a live commodity. And at the end of the day, things will happen in future, again in the future. There's, there's no... Uh, getting away from it. Um, it's how prepared are we? Uh, how can we continually be looking to improve the supply chain? And that's not just in market or on ships, that's right back to producers in Australia because at all stages, we're all got a level of responsibility to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So it's all always looking about continual improvement and how we can uh, better ensure that what we do is is done with um, the best outcome for for the animals. So you're talking about risk, like managing or I guess minimising that risk all along the supply chain? Uh, it's that, but it's also, it's ensuring that those little things that we've often put up with or often sort of been like, oh yeah, she'll be all right. No, we've got to start calling that out and saying, no, that isn't right. We, we need a start stop allowing things that you know are wrong and start changing them and once again that that's not necessarily in market that's that's looking inward and back down the supply chain in Australia and as an inquisitive person do you think that you're you do question these things you think you identify and question I think a little too much often (laughs) (laughs) it's because uh because I wasn't from that farming background, I, I often ask, well, why are they doing that? Is there not a better way? And if I hear the answer, oh, but we've always done it like that, I, I 
totally switch off to that person going forward because unless you can tell me, no, there isn't a better way, this is why we're doing it, well, I'm, I'm going to try to keep asking questions until I find that there is a better solution. Yeah, the industry talks about that evidence-based regulations and decision-making. So I think that needs to be adopted all along the supply chain. For sure. So finally, John, if you could get one key message out there for everyone to hear and understand, including animal activists, including farmers, including everyone, what would it be? What's your key message? I think if we, including animal activists, I, I think it's that we all share similar values. I don't think there's someone in the supply chain or animal activists that don't care about the animals uh, at the end of the day. So we care about the animals, we care about the people, and we want the best possible outcomes. It's probably a difference of opinion on how we get there, but we need to remember that we share the similar values, um, and that's probably the most important thing. It's and when we communicate, we've got to remember that we're sharing those values. And um, so it, it sort of takes the sting off a conversation pretty quickly if you, if you remember that. Yeah, I think you worded that really well, John. So when we're connecting with people, like you say, like I care about the environment too. I care about animals as well. Like our core beliefs and values are the same and we really can use that in our communication. Thank you so much, John, for coming to join us at the Livestock Leaders podcast. It's fantastic for our listeners to have an insight into the Livestock Collective and who better to tell us than one of the directors himself. So thank you. No worries. Glad to be a part of it. A big thank you to our audience for listening. Every fortnight we release a new episode with more leaders and champions throughout the livestock industry. If you haven't already, scroll back and listen to our previous episodes and please subscribe or leave a review and join our community on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Livestock Leaders to hear more real and empowering stories. Music.